The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board of Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle Hyman, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy can only be bought if he maintains his independence. Josh Borboni, how are you doing this weekend? Is that like an oxymoron? <laughs> can only be bought if I maintain my independence. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a, we had a snow, ice, ice storm, ice storm, icy snowstorm. So that was inconvenient. Everything is a sheet of ice outside for the most part. So it'll be a little slippery, but we're doing good. We're alive and breathing. And that's what my new scale for doing okay is. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was would hope it'd be something higher than that but i'll, I'll take that at this point that's good yeah. that's that's Same. okay <laughs> so how much uh how, how much snow do you guys just have sitting like on the ground right now there's still a pretty f- good amount of snow from the blizzard sitting on the ground it's just now covered in ice because didn't you get to like the 50s last week or wasn't you, weren't you supposed to we were supposed it? to it didn't it didn't actually happen gotcha so we got some rain but we were still only in the 40s, so it didn't. It cleared up some, but not a lot. Like everything is just sheen now. Like you look outside, and you're like, "Oh, look at that shiny giant <laughs> pile of blizzard snow." Excellent. Well, that's always good. Well, that's that's, that's not good. That's actually really disappointing. <laughs> it's it's but. supposed to be raining, and in the upper 40s this week again. We'll see what happens. If that happens, it will be nice. Yeah, if it's warm enough, it's not bad when it rains because that definitely gets rid of the snow quickly. Yes. But it has to be, you know, warm enough to not then freeze rock solid after that. That would be nice. So, gotcha. But overall, fine weekend then. You're like alive. You got to go chip some ice today, right? Yeah. Yeah. What did I do yesterday? I don't remember. My son was awful yesterday and I was overtired because we stayed up late on Friday night. We did stay up so late. So Saturday was a really long day. <laughs> But at least I was aware I was cranky. It wasn't one of those surprise, I've been cranky all day and I'm just hearing about it from my wife at the end of the day kind of thing. (laughs) So at least I knew that going into it. How about you? How was your weekend? It was fine. We had a really, really busy Saturday just with like tasks around the house and just, you know, it was was house cleaning day and laundry and bringing things to recycling, just all of that kind of like around the house stuff, which meant today was pretty chill. It was actually really nice and uh, got a nap in and uh, those things that I don't usually do. So it was a pretty good day today. It was a, it was a very lazy, chill Sunday, just in time to go back for, a, you know, another busy week of work. Whoever thought this like five days on, two days off thing was the right way to do this. I, I would like to have words with that person because goodness <laughs> gracious, uh, it really becomes like five days on and then a day or two to get done the stuff you need to for your life to go back to five days. Right. On. So, so like no days off. Really. Right. So you're lucky if you get like one day off in there. Yeah. Um, and even at that, I was still a half day off because I went grocery shopping this morning and things like yeah. that. So, but 
But yeah, so Josh, for our pregame topic this week, uh, favorite trilogy. So mm-hmm. this doesn't have to be the best trilogy, and this can be in any media type. It can be movies, video games, books, whatever you'd like it to be. Yeah. Uh, a favorite trilogy. My, my partner and I were having a conversation about this, and she had a pretty quick slam dunk answer for hers, both movie and book. It's the same, which might give you a hint as to what hers is. Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, what is your favorite trilogy, Josh? Uh, movies is tough. Uh, gaming, it's Mass Effect. Uh, now, here's the question. Yeah. I mean, there are technically four Mass Effect games. Well, no, not really. That's like saying Han Solo is really a Star Wars movie. I mean, Solo, a Star Wars story. <laughs> okay, okay. So, yeah, the original Mass Effect trilogy, I guess is what I'll say then. Okay. Um. So could you say, so from your perspective then for a favorite trilogy, could you be like, oh, the first three Halo games and just ignore four, five, and six? You know what I'm I saying? I think you could, if that's, I mean, I don't, I don't know if the definition of trilogy is literally like subsequent um, projects or like it has to be sequentially like one, two, and three. Right. Like technically, could you make a favorite trilogy out of all the Star Wars movies? Right. Just pick three movies out of there you really enjoy. Your favorite three movies. Right. I think that we just like focus on trilogy having to be part one, part two, and part three. I think that's just like in my head, that's like the default definition. Um. But if I couldn't pick Mass Effect Trilogy for games because there's four of them. Well, and I think I mean, that would be pretty hard with video games. I think Mass Effect works because the last one is Mass Effect Andromeda. It's not like. Right. And it's, it's very not one, clearly, two or three. It, yeah, it's very clearly supposed to be, you know, a next. Whereas Halo, like, I feel like, the, I mean, the story is still kind of the same story, right? Like, it's continuing an yeah. arc that starts. So that's why for like. I struggle more there, where as drama is a pretty big sidestep to like what was happening in the first three games. Right, it's a separate story, Within so the same it's universe. not really part of yeah. the yeah. Uh, for books, it's Chaos Walking trilogy. Um, uh, although I think he just did a prequel to it. I don't know if I <laughs> if that's true or not. Um, for movies, it's really tough though, uh, because a lot of movies. They don't just stick to trilogies. I think like the easy answer would be Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, but does the Hobbit count as a prequel? So is there really six Lord of the Rings movies? <laughs> yeah, that's where that's where it gets tough. Because yeah, my partner's pick was Lord of the Rings as well, and I was like, yeah. well, "What about the Hobbit?" She's like, "It's different." I'm like, "Okay." She's like, just I think I think it is too. Same. Yeah, I, I think, think it is different. Um, like I'm t- I. I get toward like brought right to like alien, but obviously there's more than three and the third one wasn't very good. Right. Um, um, the John Wick trilogy. I feel like that would be weird if I use that as my answer for my favorite trilogy. It's because the fourth one isn't out yet. <laughs> and or it's, just John Wick. it's John Wick. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> but I could like easily do walking uh, evil dead, but I also don't think that, I mean, I know evil dead one and evil dead two are the same film with bigger budgets and separating right. them and army of darkness doesn't have the evil dead name in it. So yeah, I think that could be tough as well, but uh, yeah, but I, that's not uncommon in, you know, especially like book series that the name of the trilogy is something different than the title of any of the yeah books within it, you know? So that's not, I think that's totally doable. Cause even, Oh, cause it was technically the name of the um, clerk, small rats chasing Amy 
The Viewisk universe? I there's like a specific name that that goes by that I'm blanking on right now. Is that what it is? I don't Yeah, the Viewisk the Viewisk universe. I'm looking at film trilogies cuz I'm I'm not I'm See, popular trilogy movies. Spider-Man. No. Uh maybe the Toby Maguire ones, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm saying it counts as a trilogy. I just don't know that I would include it as my favorite. True, but like the new ones, like technically are a trilogy now. Yeah, that's true. I think maybe. I mean, at the Dark Knight is is a pretty solid pick. It is a solid pick, as as well as Indiana Jones. Uh, although they made a fourth one, so this is also <laughs> not in the right spot either. Yeah, they just kind of ignore things. I think sometimes. Uh, uh, the Planet of the Apes re- reboot trilogy yeah, is very that's good. A solid pick. Yeah, there's some good ones on here, but there's also some bad ones. Like, I wouldn't pick The Matrix, even though I love The Matrix. I love most of The Matrix movies. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that I haven't even I really need to watch the fourth one. I never watched it. So. It's so good. I really like it. But it's also one of those apparently divisive films that a lot of people do not like. Yeah, which is fine. What about yeah. your favorite trilogies? Well, for me, I, you know. For game ones, it is challenging because, like, obviously my favorite series is Uncharted, which there is very clearly four, right? There are clearly – it's not like I can make a – 4.5. Oh, yeah, exactly. So that that makes that difficult. I do love Mass Effect, though. I do did really enjoy the Mass Effect trilogy when I originally played it. I haven't played that recently, and I – you know, even with getting the Legacy Collection or whatever it was called, I, I started it again but just didn't get very far. Yeah. Uh, so it makes me wonder if I really did love it that much. Like how would I have just continued to play that game? Uh, so I do think for games, it is very challenging to pick a trilogy because, yeah, it doesn't fit well, but I probably would pick Mass Effect, I guess. Uh, for yeah. books, I can't pick one because every book series I really like is way more than <laughs> three books. So sure. like the Dresden Files and all that good stuff. So it, it makes it very challenging uh, to pick a just a trilogy from that because books so often are much much more and yeah like the hunger games are fine and like all that stuff but i yeah it just nothing there really sticks out to me uh for films though since we're talking favorite and not necessarily best right i am still sticking with how to train your dragon as my (laughs) favorite movie trilogy because it is a great trilogy of movies it really is and i when we talk about like best animated movies of all time i feel like that is it gets the short stick way too often nobody talks mm. about how great those movies are and they're phenomenal they're so good so that's where i would go as far as favorite trilogy from a movie perspective probably how to train your dragon okay cool. sorry lord of the rings <laughs> it'll be okay i mean i think they'll have plenty of other attention as far as that goes oh, yeah. but listener what are your some of your favorite trilogies let us know we'd love to hear um you know what you consider to be your favorite trilogies no matter the media format we, we want to hear it uh, but with that, thanks so much for joining us this week. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggested topics, hit us up at Board of the VG on Twitter or check out all the awesome stuff over on the Instagram, also Board with VG. We're, we are proud to be part of the PSVG Podcast Network, and we would encourage you to check out all the shows like the PSVG Podcast, which I was actually on last week, hmm. uh, the Nintendo Shack, PSXP, Dollar Cinema, and anything else we decide to do on a podcast feed near you. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games, and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games that you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. So with that, Josh, we're going to transition to talk a little bit about what we've been playing. So what has been taking your time on the television or the computer 
or the tabletop, Josh? Okay. Well, I'm still playing Pokemon Legends RCS, whatever it is. Still playing Pokemon Legends. Um, Playing some more Tekken 7. And I also uh, reinstalled Street Fighter 5 since I hadn't revisited it since I was very disappointed at the launch. Um, And I was listening to How Did This Get Played, which has changed its name to Played Pod or Get Played Pod. And Heather Ann Campbell's a big fighting game fan. And she was telling a story about how she also abandoned Street Fighter V because of how broken it launched. And she is a huge fighting game um, player. So... Uh, I kind of she I took her inspiration and I was like, you know what? I think it is time for me to re-download it. I didn't p- buy the upgrade to get the all the characters, but I might. Um, but going back to Tekken Seven and Street Fighter Five, it really it's it's a really big change from Mortal Kombat and Injustice. Like to- like that, it really makes me feel like a bad fighting game player because I'm terrible. I just need to like retrain my brain to these were the games that I was best at originally. So just kind of need to retrain my brain and, and get back in that. But um, they both look great and they both control great. So I just need to, to uh, get better at them. You know, Uh, I am playing Yu-Gi-Oh masters duels or master duels or whatever it's called as part of my homework. Well, as my homework, not as part of my homework. Uh, I downloaded on Xbox and I'll tell you, I'll talk about it now, I guess. Uh, it's fine. It's a card game. You know, it's not that (laughs) it's not that much different from magic, uh, on a base level. I think, you know, what it did just make me realize is I don't like playing any deck builders digitally because I can't just actively look at the cards easily. Mm. And I'm getting sick of like, I, I'm just getting frustrated with having to maximize a card every time I want to re familiarize myself with it. And there's mm-hmm. so there's like, I don't even know. I can't even imagine how many cards are in, in this game because there's like a thousand different individual packs in this game. Yeah. Uh, so I don't you know, like, I don't have any chance of memorizing what these cards do unless I don't want to improve my deck. Mm hmm. So I think I'm just get. I just don't know that digital card games are gonna. It's. I don't think that's gonna pop for me. I think I've had struggles with it on mobile. It's a little easier, uh, but it's still not easy on mobile because you do have to individually highlight the cards. Like I have right. an issue with Star Realms as much as I love playing it on mobile. Like having to like refamiliarize myself like by holding a card to try to read what it says every time I want to use a different card. I just like prefer to have a physical deck in my hands. So what I Uh, hear you're saying is that you're like on team Donnie that digital card games should just not exist. No, no, no. He's, he's, he isn't, his is more in depth. It's not, or, or actually no, his is less in depth. His is a surface level dislike for it, which I get, I get his dislike. Um, But he like, you guys were talking about, Oh, the game you were playing, Tinted Grail. Yeah. And I know he was immediately out of Midnight Suns, too, as soon as he found out it was card-based. But that's like a specific card. Like, at least for Midnight Suns, it's going to be like specific decks for characters, I, th- I think. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be easier to know what you're playing. 
Um, you're not like, I don't think you're going to be opening booster packs a bunch of times. You might be, but that does the opening booster is fun, but having 700 cards that you have to sort through to try to make a deck for me, not fun. Well, and obviously there's just a different in the intricacy of what is happening there, right? Yeah. Like if you look at a game like Tainted Grail, as an example, you have a hand of cards, but it's like, oh, this card does like X damage, this card like blocks. Whereas yeah. when you're playing a game like Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic, it's like, okay, if you play this card for this cost, it does this thing. But then you can also do this other thing. And if you yeah. do that thing, like search your deck for a card that does this. And then if that comes out, it does this. And then this gets exiled to there, blah, blah, blah. Like yes. there's just so much more that's going on versus do eight damage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just, the, it, yeah. it is drastically different for sure. And Yu-Gi-Oh! is like, so you can play your card three different ways depending on the type of card. You could play it face up. You could play it sideways, face down. You could play it sideways, face up. They all do different things. There's like a... There's like a sacrifice pit on your side of your table where you can just randomly kill monsters you have out on your board to bring out a different one. There's um, spell and trap cards that activate different ways at all times, and you have to but like decide if you want to use them and how you want to use them. Um, it yeah, it is very much like magic, like yeah. in like on the face of it. So like I get that. And I'm I I wouldn't be opposed to like playing the physical game, or trying to learn it. I just don't have time to learn a new CCG. <laughs> I hear you there. I hear uh, you there. But but I'm not opposed to that. Uh, so it's not it's not bad, and it being free is nice. But I also can see how many with how many packs you can buy. I can see how it could be like a nightmare for people who want to try to find specific cards. Because I got a bunch of ultra rare cards, and I was like, I have no idea if these are good or not. I just know they're <laughs> ultra rare. Right. Like, I don't even know if they'll work with my deck. Uh, okay, so uh, before we'll talk about the game we played together, I guess I'll talk about Sifu, which is yeah. a game I played today. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Kyle Pass, as people, as Donnie will say, Kevin Pass. Well, I get Kyle Pass. Well... And it thankfully finally worked to download it early, which was nice. Yeah. So it was early access for today. The normal release is today if you're listening on release, which is February 8th. And um, yeah, I didn't know too much about this game. I didn't really watch more than I think the State of Play trailer. Mm-hmm. I knew people were excited about it. I knew you were. I knew Devin uh, from PSVG podcast was excited. And I like martial arts. So I was excited to be excited, but I really didn't know too much about the game. And uh, it's really cool. I really like the art style. It's like half polygonal art and ha- like mixed with like, I don't know, kind of like kind art a little bit like cartoony. And like they try to add, I think, like blockiness to, to make it, I don't know, visual uh, yeah. appeal or something. I do feel it looks a lot like, because did you play Absolver, their previous game? Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like it looks it like, does if look you're like, like Absolver, hey, yeah. Same studio made this. You're like, yeah, I see that. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Same, same, uh, well, not the same fight style, but similar, I guess. Uh, yeah. So Sifu, uh, loosely, um, the story is about a student who is trying to exact revenge. I won't spoil anything, but that's the premise of the game. Uh, There are five, uh, maybe more, bosses that are in the game that you have to defeat to exact your revenge. 
Uh, I got to the second boss. Uh, Sifu is really interesting. It uses an aging system. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. I had no idea yep. what it was, but it's pretty uh, cool and frustrating at the same time sometimes. But basically, uh, you have like a charm um, that represents your entire life. It's in like a menu system. And this charm has a bunch of different circles on it that represent different things. They don't really tell you what. Um, but they're really representative of points in your life. I think you start the game at, I don't know, 18 or 21. I think somewhere 20. 20, yeah, it's a 20. And as you play, um, if you are defeated in combat, you gain, I guess I'll call it a life counter, and it goes up every time you're defeated in combat. So like, if I go out into a room and I lose, it adds one year to my life, but it also adds one year tally. So if I die again, I have two tally, and it adds two years to my life. The highest I got was seven. I had seven, and I and every time I died, it would add seven years to my life. Well, actually, not every time, the last time. Um, <laughs> so I have died of old age once. Um, but yeah, you go through these levels, and they have a boss fight at the end. Um, the combat is, the combat is pretty good. Um, I'm really struggling to nail the counters. They they give you a very like the briefest of tutorials and to to the point where I wouldn't even call it a tutorial. Um, it's like op- in the opening credits, so there's not like a proper tutorial. So they give you like a really quick rundown of what you're supposed how you do combat, and I guess the parrying was too quick for me because I just didn't retain the perfect parry. Like I feel like I'm I keep parrying, but I'm taking so much damage that I'm certainly not doing it the way I was told how to do it. Well, from what I, and I haven't played it yet. I ended up taking a nap instead of playing. Um, <laughs> but from everything I've read is that the parry window is extremely small. Yeah, it feels, it definitely feels that way. Um, which makes this game very difficult, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that Kyle and I were talking about before we recorded. Uh, I had no idea that this was a difficult game. I just thought it was going to be like a, Bruce Lee Enter the Dragon from the Atari Jaguar game, and it's not. <laughs> um, but there was a cool scene. I saw someone compare it to Kung Fu online, and mm, then there yeah. was a cool scene where um, the camera angle changed to sideways like Kung Fu. Oh, cool. And it was pretty fun. Um, that was fun. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it is difficult, so uh, I will keep playing it. We'll just It just will depend on how long I keep playing it. Uh, depending on how I really what I'm going to do is there is like a you have like your own little house and it does have a training dummy in there and you can just practice and you can change the AI's like aggressiveness Mm. so I might just do that the next time I jump on and try to just work on parrying because uh, even getting to the second boss which was a struggle just to get to them um, I I didn't even stand a chance Uh, I couldn't I couldn't even parry for the life of me not once so and yeah and it is a roguelite so you know obviously there is that that's going for it some of the systems that are built in though sound intriguing like the fact that you know when you go you know the next time that you go since you've died of old age like when you get to level two you can always go to like the youngest age you have gotten to that level at 
Yeah. So like if yeah. the first, you know, if the first time you get there, you're 25. <clears throat> yeah, uh, mine's 34 time, for stage two. Yeah. So like, as, like if you get there, you know, 25 next time, the third time that you go, if you happen to be 34 again, you can go back to 25, which is nice. Um, and the fact that apparently if you buy upgrades, eventually if you buy them enough, they will become permanent, that they will carry through from run to run. So, you know, there's going to be some good things there. I was, it's interesting seeing all of everyone talk about how hard it is, but then also seeing the number of people who are like, I beat the game and the game's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, that doesn't mean that obviously a lot of people can't beat hard games. That happens all the time. Um, but I'm very surprised about the number of people who are like, wow, this is so hard. And the number of people who are like, I beat it. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to be that tends to be the tipping point of who likes it and who doesn't. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm really excited to play it. I probably will. After editing the podcast tonight, I will probably stay up and play some just because I wanted to play earlier i just was i was too sleepy josh you're you sleepy know? i get it sleepy if i didn't so. have my son at home i would have also taken a nap if, <laughs> for what it's worth uh and that last game uh which was inspired by actually uh kyle being on the play some video games podcast i was listening to it and they were talking about house of ashes and kyle had mentioned we tried to play on halloween and it's been so long since halloween so i messaged kyle and i was like hey Let's try it. Let's see if we can get together and play this on Friday. And we did. Not only did we play it, but we beat it. We did. Um, Yeah. It's probably my least favorite of the games that we played. Which is interesting because obviously we had those technical issues when we first played. But as far as like a polished level goes, it might be the most polished of the three. It's the most polished. It's the best controlling. Yeah. But they're not. I said this to Kyle while we were playing. Um, I didn't really feel like we were doing anything. In fact, all, all I did feel like we were doing was just walking around and clicking on interactables. Now, I started thinking about that, about the other games, and they are essentially the same. Yeah. But they yeah. didn't make you feel like that's what you're doing. Right. And in this game, there was no sense of dread. There was no... Well... There was very few and far between moments of you're playing a scary game, to me at least, and it was oh, more great. so you're just in a cave looking for clues. And we yeah. spent half the game in one room. Yeah, it it definitely <laughs> I think is the least scary of the three. Yeah, uh, like you mentioned, like all of those things are true. It controls the best. It looks the best. Uh, that's not to say there isn't still some jank there. Like you would you oh, know, yeah. hit, a, hit the prompt to pick something up and you'd stand there for five seconds doing Which nothing. Which is way too long. <laughs> and then you suddenly pick the thing up. So there's definitely some jank there. But I would agree. The story to me was the least compelling of the three. Uh, I was least curious about what was going on. Uh, and then, you know, you start to kind of put pieces together where you think this is going. And it takes from multiple genres and kind of squashes them all together to yeah. make what they're trying to be an, an interesting or, or unique take on, you know, all of the genres. And it just didn't quite hit it out of the park. Um, I didn't in the other games, like I had strong feelings for a number of the characters in this yeah. one. I didn't really have any strong feelings for any of the characters. Um, yeah. And even a character and like, I'm not trying to spoil some things like one character who you're like, Hey, you're probably clearly in the wrong, but then the other person is kind of a big jerk. So you're like, well, maybe you're not in the wrong because <laughs> they're not really very nice. You know? right. like, so there's a lot. Yeah. It just is. It was fun playing with you. Like, I'm really glad we played it. Yes. Um, and I know like uh, Donnie and the others are playing it alone. I could not imagine playing this game by myself. I don't think I would have finished no, it. No, wouldn't it be fun. Get through it. <laughs> uh, the, if people want to see the stream, should be up on my Twitch uh, 
why so serious if you want to check it out it is like six and a half hours long though so you you, you might not want to check out the whole thing but it's up there so you can watch our our stream of the game what is your uh, excitement for the next one the i mean I, i'm hoping i'm still excited for these games i do enjoy playing these cooperatively um even though this was my least favorite of the three i still think what the playtime isn't crazy and yeah. it was still it's still fun because like i don't know what you're experiencing and we just kind of based off go off each other's like jokes or audio clues and it's some it still has like that that mystery but this one just didn't um it wasn't interesting compared I to agree. the other two i i think what made it the most interesting were the things that we did, not the things the game did. Now, granted, the game allowed us to do those things, right? Like, there was a time that you totally betrayed me. Yes. And then, as a result, there was a time that I was like, well, you know what? Fine. I'm going to kill someone then. And I did. And I was able to kill someone in the group as a result (laughs) of that. So, that, I think, is what made it the most fun. Again, the game allowed us to do that, right? So, it was still that. But, again, that interaction of us playing it together is what made it fun for me. Uh, And I these games always and the other two did it a little bit the you know man and Medan and little hope had a little bit but especially when we got to the end and you get to the point where you have a variable number of players of who could be alive in any situation just like the cuts of things like how things are cutting and like clearly you're like oh it feels like something was supposed to go here yes. if we still would have had this character but we don't so now we like made this huge jump um and then like the spacing sometimes of like how they walk you're like why are you like all yeah. that spread apart like you could be closer together but clearly they have to leave room you know for where those other characters would have been so i'm sure from a technical standpoint it probably is very very hard oh yeah to for sure this game together like that so that's why i always try to cut a little bit of slack that i can't imagine it's easy to have five characters all who could be dead or all who could be alive and any combination in between by from the start to the end of the game like I, right. i'm sure that's very very challenging but it it just leads to especially towards the end um a little less smooth of an experience with where cuts are and suddenly you're like wait how do we get to where we are now and it just gets a little a little confusing sometimes agreed agreed i think we ended up lo- losing two out of the five right nope three out of the five we lost three out of the five okay yeah there was two oh, that's of us right. alive yeah. at the end yeah so yep 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 okay yeah so that's what i and partially you have been playing how yeah, so- about you yeah, so my list is just a bunch of repeats. Um, obviously, we just talked about House of Ashes. Uh, that was a great time. Really enjoy the time that we did with that. Again, because of our experience together, uh, not so much the quality of the game, but uh, you know the 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 devil in me, the one that's coming out this year, looks yeah. intriguing. <clears throat> Definitely not a game I'm going to go you know and pick up for Fantasy Critic. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's not a game I'm going to pick up for that. But yeah, like I I will still want to play it together. You know, having this experience continuing through is pretty cool. Uh, I know there was a leak not too long ago for five additional titles yeah. of these games um, that Supermasses is, is doing with Bandai Namco. I think the original contract was for eight, I think. Okay. So that's why I, I never looked at the actual names of the next five, but I assume that included the devil and me. So there'd be like a group of four and a group of four. Um, but people are saying that it was after the devil and me. So who knows? Maybe that contract has been extended or changed because uh, the games have sold well. I, I, I think that you know they for a yearly release it seems like the games are selling pretty well because it is again uh, a a good thing to do and a fun thing to do with others uh, and they're not you know full price games so i think that helps out with it as well well i can tell you our games 
Uh, the Craven Man, O Death, Directive 8020, Intercession, and Winterfold. Those are our okay. five new games. So, yeah. So, we'll see if they keep uh, busting these out year after year. Because, uh, like I said, you know, Devil and Me is supposed to be coming, you know, this fall. That'd be 2019 through 2022, hitting every single one of them, even with COVID, with everything else going on. So, uh, yeah. we'll see what happens. But. Yeah, I'm sure Josh and I will play it if it comes. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, yeah, and then just play more Pokemon Legends and more Uncharted 4. That's really all I've been playing. So nothing really new there. I feel like I am in a big waiting pattern here for uh, Horizon Forbidden West. Yeah. Um, we didn't, neither one of us picked up Dying Light 2. I know that's kind of the game of the moment. Uh, it was something that neither one of us were super interested in. And then when the reviews came out, I was like, well, seems like a good sale game so maybe if there's a lull this year and we can get it for you know half price we can wait on a buggy mess (laughs) yeah (laughs) as i've been seeing (laughs) so so yeah so we'll wait on that one Uh, i know that is like i said the hot game of the moment but you know we're going to see food to tie us over uh and potentially one other game surprise josh um but yeah so (laughs) so that's kind of where i am but like i said (laughs) Just continuing those things. Uh, nothing super new there. Still, gosh, I really love Uncharted 4. I'm to Madagascar now. Uh, I don't usually like driving in games, but I do like the, that dumb Jeep. I do like. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I think it's because it controls horribly on purpose. Uh, so I don't feel like I'm doing a bad job. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but that's what I've been playing. Just like I said, pretty much the typical stuff. So with that, then we're going to move on to our topics of the show. Josh, what's your first topic? Well, we were treated to two... I don't know. I put don't. It should have said Sony. Two Sony showcases this past week. So let's just talk about them. We have. Let's do it. Uh, oops, wrong link. Okay, so the first one we saw was Gran Turismo Seven. They had a whole state of play. Yeah. Uh, I'm just. I'm really surprised they decided to not announce the delay at the end and just wait and disappoint <laughs> people. Uh, uh... But it was a 30-minute long presentation, uh, giving it a deep dive into into Gran Turismo 7. Uh, I don't know that we even need to spend too much time on this, but um, I think it looks incredible. Uh, If if you've ever played a Gran Turismo game, I don't think that you'll be surprised by too much. It really um, seems to hold true to my memory of Gran Turismo 4 with the license test. I mean, all the Gran Turismos, but I think I have a better memory of 4. Um, the license test, the, uh, they still have that hub world-ish kind of thing where they call it the world map, but really it's just a very tight um, view on like a mountainous town and it has like the garage and the license test, very much like the older Gran Turismos. Uh, I think the biggest improvements they have, obviously nowadays with photo modes, this is going to be really big for this game. And they really went all out on photo modes. You can do screenshots from replays of races. You can pause it in the middle of a race. You can add different backgrounds. You can change speed of the image to film grain to day, night cycle to seasons. It's pretty incredible. They have a lot to go for those people who like photo mode. Uh, They also showed some tuning, which... For gearheads, this will be great, but they really didn't go into too in-depth, but you could really see how much credits you're going to need and uh, how many options you have from uh, the thousands of parts you can add to the, I would imagine, what, 
hundreds of thousands of color patterns that you can make. <laughs> sure seems like it. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Uh, it just was really uh, kind of uh, astounding how much you could do. Uh, for me, uh, well, I guess I should say uh, there will be over 400 cars, just over 400 cars at launch. Um with 34 locations offering 97 different layouts. Uh, they'll probably add more because, you know, they can. Uh, but for me, the thing that stuck out the most was the music uh, race feature, which seemed uh, just kind of super cool. Music Rally, as it's called. In the trailer, they showed, they played it to like Flight of the Bumblebee, uh, which actually worked really well with what they were showing it with. And then there was like a rock song later. Um, but essentially, they they kind of made Gran Turismo a rhythm mobile game. I know it's not mobile, but it made me feel like like the cars are going along with the BPMs of the songs. Like it seems to fit within the the race itself. And as you're completing rap, laps, the uh, the signs that you're going in are also um, flashing with the music as well. Uh, so that seemed really cool not only that you could do music rally races but you could also sync up your replays with music as well if you just wanted to watch replay with your with music synced to it so i thought that looked super cool as well um but yeah they say the number of beats dependent on which song you choose to drive along to um go uh count down instead of a countdown clock so you don't have a timer technically you do but it's beats as your timer in the song uh, so I thought that was really cool. Very interesting and unique take to, um, like, the, the, I would say, like, the one-up to Forza's skill songs. Like, this is the next oh, level. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. What did you think of the uh, the showcase? Did you watch it? I did watch it. Uh, as I have said on this show numerous times, ad yeah. nauseum, I am not a <laughs> racing car guy. Like, I'm not a big fan of driving in general in games. It's not something that's exciting to me. So I said, okay. I'm going to watch this GT7 uh, showcase, and maybe this will sell me on GT7. And what this did was show me that if you love cars, like really are into car culture as a whole, yeah, you'll probably really love GT7. Yes, it does nothing for me still. Um, That's fair. The the I think it looks incredible. I think the graphics are pretty spectacular. Like it is on the uncanny valley status of like the cars look so good. Yes. And sometimes the areas around the cars don't look quite as good. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is a little like almost discombobulating to look at like these incredibly looking, these incredible looking vehicles in landscapes that part of it's so they're going by so fast, but also even other outside of that, sometimes like the buildings and stuff that just didn't live up to maybe uh, the graphic quality you'd see in something like Forza Horizon or something, sure. or, you know, but I just as they were going in depth and talking about like you can go to the cafe and get these menus and learn yeah. all about the history of these <laughs> and I'm like oh my gosh like I clearly am not the target audience for this game yeah. and that's okay that is totally fine um I will say that once it was done since I have really no context of what if this is what people wanted I went and poked around kind of in the different corners of the PlayStation internet that I hang out in and, and read yeah. things on and it seems like People who are into GT are very excited about this. Yeah, this is what they want. Yeah, it it really does look like they are checking the boxes and and doing the things that the fans of the game really, really want. So I'm very happy for them. I'm really excited that, you know, this seems to be um, a step in the direction everyone was wanting. I think people like GT Sport. Like, I don't think they don't. 
don't think they hate that game. Yeah. But I think this is really um, the the return that those GT fans were really looking for. And, you know, you mentioned the number of cars at the start, the number of tracks at the start, kind of all that good stuff. You know, if there's anything that they have done is they have supported the heck out of GT Sport. Yeah. Um, cars and tracks and all that stuff releasing regularly. So I have no doubts that that will continue then uh, for GT7. So, I mean, I don't know that that delay is coming that you think is coming, Josh, <laughs> uh, at this point, since we're about a month out now. But uh, I was really impressed with what I saw. I think the game looks great. I thought the music stuff was totally awesome. Like, that was the only thing that really kind of got me there. Uh, but also, one weird angle that you mentioned at the beginning, like, if you're really into photography, like, yeah. this actually might be a really good game for you. Because I made the joke, like, GT7, um, the real photography simulator, because, like, yeah. it is the photo mode and stuff in this game is just ridiculous. Just absolutely nuts with everything that they're doing there. So yeah, yeah I like should I said, mention two players split screen as well, which yeah. is very rare these days. Yeah. So uh, really cool looking, but just not for me, yeah. which is fine. So I hear you 100%. Okay. So that's Gran Turismo seven. The game should be out later this fall. Uh <laughs> The next game we saw was not quite a state of play, but a showcase for uh, Tango Gameworks, uh, Tokyo Ghostwire, or Ghostwire, Ghostwire Tokyo. Tokyo. I just yeah. read Eurogamers thing and they flipped it like they flipped their names. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, this is from Eurogamer.net. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're not really going to steal from there and borrow their, their story. We're just going to talk about the game. Um so we saw some gameplay for Ghostwire Tokyo, something that I mean, a lot of gameplay we had sorely been missing because we hadn't really seen. Well, we hadn't seen any gameplay from this game. Uh, uh, there was one trailer that had snippets of gameplay in it that we had yeah, seen. That was, yeah. I mean, it was not a long, continuous streams of gameplay like we got in this showcase for sure. Yes. So part of this game, which is weird, there are some parts in this game where it's third person, but it seems to be very rare. Um, but it is most, it, this is a first person, uh, now we know it to be a first person supernatural shooter, kind yeah. of, yeah. uh, of sorts, bow and, arrow. <laughs> bow and arrow and using spells yeah. while casting, um, and you're fighting like Slenderman and, um, those, the Tokyo grudge schoolgirl ghosts and yes and stuff like that uh but i would say tokyo or ghostwire tokyo before we went into this i had no interest in this game um basically because it just didn't seem what we saw didn't seem uh appealing to me at all but that's because we didn't really see much I, after watching this i i i don't know what to think i think it looks good um uh, but I think what we learned was essentially you're trying to cleanse these Tories that show up. And Tories are the, uh, if you play Ghost of Tsushima, you would see them. If you play board games, there's um, the 100-year Tory, I think it's called, from um, uh, Pencil First Games, I think, right? That sounds right. Yeah. Um we had him on. Eduardo Braff made it. Yeah. He's been on the show. Yeah, I mean, yeah he's pencil first. I think it's pencil first, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it looks like you are fighting off uh, these ghosties with your spells and eventually some weapons. And you're traversing the levels um, by, like, uh, lassoing yourself to ghosts <laughs> to get up and 
fight them and yeah i think i think the goal is just to clear tokyo of all these tories and and cleanse it to finish the game but looks like there's a couple big bads in here and some interesting ghost designs uh what did you think about this uh if you watched this uh did you watch this and what did you think of it <laughs> i did watch it but not right right when it premiered i had meetings and stuff for work so i, I watched it over hmm. my lunch break um I don't know what to think about this game still, Josh. <laughs> I think it looks very unique and yeah. different and something that I, I don't know that fits, at least right now from what I know about it, nicely into a genre, which is cool and exciting right? that it does yeah. seem like something new. I think the string thing, that string attack where you can like that. I'd be curious how cool. that works. Like, what yeah. are you doing for buttons to make that happen? It just looks cool too. Like, I'm like, I don't know what this thing really is, but it just seems really neat. Yeah. Um. So I I give them props for doing a very different looking first person game, right? Like, this is not yeah. a traditional first person shooter, at least on the surface. Now, maybe once you're playing, the actions actually do feel very much like a traditional first person shooter, but right now it doesn't look that way. So. I don't know, but like you said, like I don't still totally know what I'm doing, right? There's the Tory gates that you got to cleanse. Like I'm exploring around and there's first person combat. Like what is the story? How good is the story? Uh, how scary is the game? Because yeah. I'm kind of a wuss when it I'm comes watching to those a boss fight right now. It looks pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm kind of a wuss when it comes to those things. Um, I just, I am much more interested than I was prior to this because before I was like, no, nah, I don't even care about when this game comes out. Yeah. So I'm much more interested. I'm a little surprised that it's coming March 25th. Like that's, you know, Close. six weeks or um, yeah. not quite two months from now. Like very quick. I thought maybe if this was going to be a first part of the year, we'd be seeing it in May or June. Uh, so I'm a little surprised with how quick it's coming out. But for me right now, uh, we actually were talking about the importance of reviews in the Discord. So you should join our Discord. Uh, this is a game that like I really would read reviews on just because I have no idea what to think about it right now. You know, right. Dying Light 2 was a game that, too, I was kind of on the fence about. The, re the reviews made me say, okay, I'm going to wait. Uh, this game, like, if people say it's great, like, I'll probably jump in. But, like, I just don't know. What about you? What are your thoughts after watching the trailer and stuff? I agree. I think it looks super unique, uh, at least as far as combat goes and how it will be implemented. Um, I think it, it, it technically looks a lot better than I expected it to look. It looks pretty Agreed. clean and shiny. And when it has to, gritty and dark and spooky. I think the enemy design is also unique. It reminds me of Silent Hill-ish kind of bad guys. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I I think I don't know. I think I'm interested, but um, I just don't know. I don't know. I'll watch some more gameplay as it comes out, but uh, I'm more interested than not at this point. <laughs> Uh, did you like Tango's uh, last couple games, the Evil Within games? Did you like those? You know, um, I didn't play them okay. more than a little bit. And I was late to Evil Within. So when I did play it, I just it just felt too dated for me. And okay. then when I tried playing Evil Within 2, something they did with the camera, I had a real hard time like physically playing it. It was mm. like widescreen... And like the controls were odd. I don't know if that's a me problem or what. Um, but it was a game I always wanted to revisit. I just never got back to trying with Evil Within 2. But I always loved the premise. I loved. I watched some people play when it came out. It looked like a lot of fun. Um, 
So if it's if it's even similar to that, I think at least by how unique and fun and crazy those bad guys seemed in that game, yeah, seemed like it would be a good addition to a game like this. Uh, this is actually interesting. Throwing it back to Phil Spencer talking about like Activision IP that are dormant that they ha- you know could potentially like bring back yeah. now that they're acquiring them. Uh, it's not very often that we see FPS games like Hexen and Heretic and things right. like that from back in the day where you're just slinging spells in first person. Like yeah. That's not a thing we get a ton of. Uh, you know, we very, very much get first person shooters where you're holding a gun, not just first person slinging spells. Um, so if nothing else, like I kind of want to support the fact that they're doing that. Yeah. Uh, but I also am a big wuss. So we'll see if that happens or not. So, uh Anything about either of these showcases you want to talk about, Josh? In addition to what we just talked about? No, I think I think uh, I think I'm satisfied with our coverage. <laughs> All right, you are satisfied with your care slash coverage. Please write right. the survey. <laughs> so my first story uh, is Ugh. from the folks over at ICV2. Uh, Come on, is making all the money with Marvel games and zombie games, and of course marvel zombie games so again over at icv2 um gripe over there um reporting marvel zombies tops nine million dollars on kickstarter uh come on's marvel zombies miniature board game which uses the zombicide core mechanics wrapped up its kickstarter on thursday uh which would have been last thursday raising over nine million dollars in 16 days and hitting kickstarter's all-time top dollars raised chart the game and expansion raised $9,032,583 from 28,974 backers, which is a lot of people, or $311.75 per backer. So the average backer paid over $300. Uh, The gigantic Galactus game piece helped draw backers to the higher pledge levels. Marvel Zombies raised the most ever for a command game, which actually is kind of surprising to me. Yeah. Seems like they regularly have big, big uh, games that make a lot, but I guess nine million is next level. Uh, easily beating Zombicide Greed Horde, which raised just over five million. Marvel Zombies charted number four on Kickstarter's all-time most funded tabletop games chart, behind only Frosthaven, Kingdom Death Monster 1.5, and Avatar Legends: The Role Playing Game. Uh, I actually just looked up uh, Kingdom Death Monster recently because I was going to get it, or I wasn't going to get it, but. Eric, my partner was asking <laughs> about it because we were ta- we were watching a Dice Tower video and they were talking about Kingdom Death Monster yeah. and she's like, oh, what is this game? I'm like, well, let's take a look. And it's like 400 bucks now. And they're like, yeah. 1.6 is what they're on now. And it's like $400 for it. But anyway. No big deal. So Josh, uh, Marvel <laughs> Zombies, this is a, a game that you and I definitely communicated about. We just talked about a little bit in Discord and all that good yeah. stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts about the success? What are your feelings just about the Marvel Zombies Kickstarter as a whole, sir? Do you know what I think is funny? He- they're the math that ICV did, ICV2 did where they would say out of the 28, almost 29,000 backers, there was 311 per backer. That would mean that nobody got the full exa- whole game that they could get. <laughs> <laughs> That's how expensive this game is. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's fine. I, I guess I'm, I'm just clearly not the market for them, even though I was very interested in Marvel Zombies as an IP, as a game. Um, I would have loved to be able to back this, but I knew we know when CMON does a Kickstarter, what you see isn't what you get right away. You got to wait and wait and wait. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting. I wasn't going to spend the money, but I was just curious what the cost was going to be. And then I, I messaged you. It was like $610 yep. to get everything. <laughs> it was 
Six fifteen, Josh. Six fifteen. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Not including shipping, right? Um, Correct. So, uh, six hundred and fifteen dollars. It's gross. That's gross to me. This is instant turnoff to me for any Simon product. Um, but it is what it is. You know, people paid it. That's what they wanted. <clears throat> I just, and you know, that's a FOMO thing for me, right? I could have just backed the base version of the game, which is still a lot of money. One hundred thirty bucks. But I, but I can't help but think about what I missed out on, <clears throat> and it, it just when these Kickstarters come out, same with Horizon and Pacific Rim, these games that I have a lot of fondness over. Um, I don't like that when you pay that much money, you're not getting the whole experience, right? Um, so that's always been my problem with Kickstarters like this, and it probably always will be. <clears throat> my problem i own the base version of horizon now but i keep going like i know there's more out there i know That's true, I but you also got thing. the you also got the base version for way less than the kickstarter was I the did. base version i got lucky that i i because it was just sitting on a store shelf <laughs> so and it does go on sale occasionally and sometimes one of the expansions does as well so i keep eyeing it but um i like that there's okay so the positives <clears throat> I like that something like this can exist and that this many people will support it and back it, which means we'll get more uh, games like this with the Marvel IP or the Marvel Zombies IP. Just for me, it fits into my like nerd wheelhouse. Not that we're lagging Marvel games at all by any means, but at least it's a fresh take on a Marvel game, which right. I like. You know, it's not another... like I almost said it's not another... Re- skinned game but it kind of really is uh oh it's just skinning zombicide but yeah um there's so much more to it uh but also like if you look at zombicide there's also like a hundred expansions for that too so correct um you know it was probably really easy for them to to do that i really love the art on the miniatures they are incredible if i could just own it for that those miniatures look so good um but yeah i just I think about how much I paid for for Gloomhaven, and I just imagine I'm imagining how much more game I got for a sixth of the price of this game. I mean, like, I don't. This is going to sound ridiculous, and I don't mean to sound ridiculous, Josh. You could literally buy a PS5 or an Xbox Series X and Skyrim for and have hundreds of hours of gaming for less than like the top level pledge right you can buy some now, cars for cheaper than that <laughs> you can actually <laughs> um okay josh i don't know are you looking at the kickstarter page right now uh no but i can be no no don't don't, don't, don't. okay here we go <laughs> there are here are the different pledge levels uh there's a 130 dollar pledge a 240 dollar oh. pledge a 410 a 430 and a 615 dollar pledge so those are the different yeah. pledge levels which do you think has the most backers the second one the three something? The two forty. Two forty. The two forty has the second most. Okay. The most is the six hundred and fifteen dollar level. No way. Yep. Has over six thousand backers at that level. <clears throat> oh my gosh. Now Where where are they getting the money for I know I'm not I'm not gonna judge anyone for spending yeah, money. Yeah, <laughs> it's like who, far be it from us to judge how you spend your money. Yeah. But I think about the fact that you know it's six hundred and fifteen dollars. And then if you want two wave shipping so that you get like the base stuff first and then the expansion stuff when it's ready. Yeah. Um it's Another over hundred dollars for shipping in the U.S. If you're in the U.S., it was like four hundred dollars for Africa. 
Yeah, it's it gets uh, <laughs> no, it's five hundred thirty-eight dollars for that's, for shipping. Jeez, <laughs> my gosh. Um, so if you're like William, you know, like, can you imagine him? <laughs> Sorry, to, like, buddy. I'll get it here, and you can just come get it next time here in the states. <laughs> yeah, it's cheaper to buy a ticket; just come pick it up. Yeah. Um, that's not now, even a joke. That's the truth. Do, <laughs> yeah. And now you can do one wave shipping, so it's less money. Um, right. So like two wave shipping is $107. One wave shipping is $88. The problem is if you do one wave shipping, you're not getting your game until you get all the stretch stuff. So you're getting your game after it's available in stores. Yeah. You know, so that's a, a little challenging. Um, now granted, so I think most people are going to pay the 20 extra dollars. Right. You know, so now suddenly... So that's the big thing. Obviously, I know that they don't make money on shipping. I understand that. But, you know, suddenly your $615 pet pledge is now, you know, $723. Oh, so much money, Josh. Yikes. <laughs> yikes, yikes, yikes. So we, to not just, you know. That would have to be the only game I owned. I would have to get rid of all my games because I would yeah. be like, I have to play this game every time we play board games. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to belabor the point. Obviously, we talk about the expensive board games all the time. But yes. here's my question for you, Josh. What what do you think is going to break the camel's back, per se? Like, when are we going to get to a point where the the market just says, we cannot, this is untenable. Like, we just can't keep doing yeah. this. Like, what is... What do you think it's going to take for that to happen? Or is that ever going to happen? Is this just enough of a luxury hobby that, you know, games like this can continue to thrive, you know, moving forward? You know, and I think like when we start seeing stuff like 24 karat gold pieces, that's the that's the topping to tipping point or even silver or bronze. Like when you start seeing like the cost rising just for the sake of the cost rising, that's right. the tipping point. Like, do I need Galactus to have a a golden ring that makes him $75 more expensive. No, I don't need that. Is that the only way you're going to ship your game? Then I definitely don't want your game. If that's the case. I don't, otherwise I don't, I don't know. Did you, <laughs> I know you're going to go Suro. <laughs> I was going to say, did you read about the Suro limited edition? <laughs> yeah. That has a gold dragon statue <laughs> for $350. Yeah. And nobody's going to buy that. I mean, that's not true. I'm sure people are going to buy it. That for me is, the jumping the shark for these Kickstarter things. Like that is unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, Suro is a $40 game that right. has a $350 special edition, but like do it. I, I'm okay with them doing that. If you're doing it like direct from yeah. Calliope games, like that's how you buy it. I don't want you to be putting it on a Kickstarter so you can afford to make it. Yeah. Which also the difference being that, you know, you can buy the Suro base box for $40 yeah. and have the entire game experience. Right. Right. Yeah. But uh, Josh, I mean, clearly we're in the minority, though, because these things keep being successful. So we are obviously missing on, out on something. Yeah, I'm not going to judge. I spent a lot of money on Frosthaven. And yeah, but, but I know like and I'm sure the people who played Zombicide know what they're getting. And if, you know, if they think it's worth $700 and like that's good, like good for them. I just in my head, I'm like, I don't think I could ever own a $700 board game. Yeah, that would be and really, not play really it tough. every day. <laughs> that would be really tough. Um, have you played regular just Zombicide? Have you played? I've never played Zombicide. Yeah, I haven't either, and I think that's part of the reason why. Even if I had the money or was like potentially interested, like having never played original Zombicide, it I'd be more real, frustrated real if I played Zombicide and liked it, and then I was like, "Yes, Marvel Zombicide, that's great." I'd be so mad. 
that I couldn't get this. I'd be more angry. Sure, but what I'm saying is if I had played, I would at least consider getting the base game then, which I know is oh, always right. that hard you. thing that I we have that that difference then of like, yeah, it's 130 bucks, which is still a lot, right? Like that's I still think that's regular a, Zombicide price too. I think it's a pretty expensive yeah. game. I think, yeah, I think the base Zombicide, I think actually might even be more than that at this point. Yeah. Um. So it, it is definitely a um expensive just endeavor because there's a lot of minis and all that stuff. So yeah. For sure, for sure. But I, I think at least then I would consider it because like, oh, I like Zombicide and I like Marvel. So let's go ahead and give this a whirl. I just don't even know if I like Zombicide. So I'm not willing to jump right. in for $130 and find out. Uh, I will say, though, uh, my partner did say that I am I am pretty good at like identifying Kickstarters that we're, we are going to like. Yeah. So, so far, I've done a good job of that um, because I mentioned, um, did you have you watched the Dice Tower Top 100 for the year? Not yet, but we, we have talked about it. OK, um, I should watch it. Oh, well, hmm. Do you want, is it okay if I spoil something? Yeah, then? yeah, that's fine. Okay. So Tom's number one game yeah. his, on his top 100 right now is Ark Nova, which isn't even out yet. Whoa, it beat Gloomhaven. Yeah, Gloomhaven's down for like, to like number six for him right now. Mm. Or th- might be three. I don't remember. But anyway, Ark Nova now, New Hotness, is the number one game. This is a game has a ton of hype. Um, it's not even out yet. I have it like pre-ordered. Um, but I told like after he's like, oh, here's my number one. And I, I let her know. I'm like, hey, I, I actually have that game pre-ordered for us. And she's like, yeah, you're pretty good at like figuring out like you know what might be a good game so i'm going to say since i passed on marvel zombicide uh that might must mean it just isn't worth the price of investment that's what i'm going to go ahead and <laughs> tell myself uh to make me feel better about it because my partner said that it's true so uh anything else josh about uh marvel zombicide arc nova looks like dinosaur world or dinosaur island Oh, yeah, a little bit. I have to keep my eyes on this one. Uh, no, uh, Zombicide. You know what? I probably I should try to play the base game. That's what I should try to do. Do you have access to the base game? No, I mean, not right now. I don't. But like, that should be my goal. Try to play. Try to play Zombicide at some point in the future. Awesome. All right. What's your second story, Josh? You don't have a second story? Oh, wait, that was your story. That was my Whoa, first story. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we now know one of the new quote unquote new games from Stonemaier Games. Yeah, quote unquote, this yeah. was the reprinted uh, clue we got, I think. Um, yeah. I'm not familiar. I mean, I'm familiar with this game, but I, I have never played it. Uh, but Stonemaier Games have unveiled that Libertalia Winds of Galecrest will be their next game. I think it releases in March. Uh, or at least pre-orders are in March and they're pretty quick. He, he said in his email that the games are pretty much already produced and being shipped. So once the pre-orders are up, they'll probably be in people's homes pretty quickly. Um, it is designed by Paolo Mori. Um, the original version came out in 2012 uh, via Asmodee, but the new game explores the world of Galecrest, which was not part of the original game. Uh, the new board uh, game explores, uh, sorry, uh, the world of Galecrest as players take command of crews, sky pirates as uh, as their admiral. Yeah, each day players land their fleet and crew members collect loot in an effort to boost their numbers and add characters. Uh, the game is revised and expand uh, expanded edition of is a revised oh boy, and expanded edition of Libertalia that includes all new art by Lamaro Smith, forty characters per player a new reputation system, premium tokens, and a solo mode, as Stonemaier Games seems to do now. It's for one to six players, 14 plus, 
plays in 45 to 60 minutes. Uh, this is through ICV2, through Stonemeyer Champions emails. Um, Jamie likes, Jamie uh, Stegmeyer likes to like slowly release information about these games. So if you want to like, see more about Libertalia, I would say follow Stonemeyer Games or Jamie Stegmeyer on Instagram or Facebook because he will tend to, uh, within the next couple of weeks, he's going to start showing artwork and how the game plays and, and things like that. So if you're interested in a pirate game, which seems to have floating pirate ships in the air, Sky interesting. Um, I think he said in his email, the price what the game was going to be, but I forget at this point, he might not have, um, but I would say I would guess this is going to be between forty and sixty bucks. I think that's a fair guess. Uh, what if, uh, does this interest you at all? I know we're both Stormfire Games fans, but that doesn't mean we both buy every Stormfire Games game. What do you think about uh, what we know about Libertalia so far? I, yeah, so if um, and may, maybe it's on his website on the um, Stormfire website. I don't know, but definitely on um, Board Game Geek there are updates that have a ton of like pictures of like the board and the card art okay. and all that stuff already. So you can find that he's doing pretty regular updates, like almost daily updates there. Uh, just earlier today, I think we got a picture of uh, the board and things okay. uh, and it is stunning. Uh, the art in this game looks really, really good. Uh, I'm interested. I have never played Libertalia. Uh, so for me, this would definitely be a new game. Uh, but I am, like you said, I, I really like the production. I like the value. I think that Stonemeyer puts out a well-produced game for a reasonable price. Uh, you yeah. know, even if you, their games might fall a little flat for you sometimes, uh, they still do a really quality production, um, for not too much money. And, you know, Libertalia, you know, Paulo Mori has done some other games, uh, that people really seem, uh, to enjoy, because uh, he he designed Ethnos, um, which people really seem to like. You know, that's one of those games that you know is often in a top ranking for people. Um, he's the person who did Pandemic Fall of Rome, so he has some experience in that. Um, and then a, a recent game or a more recent game that is you know people really seem to like Blitz, Blitzkrieg World War Two in twenty minutes, which is just a w- w- odd name, yeah. um, but a, kind of a two player game that's pretty light, but people really seem to love um you know so he's definitely done some good stuff uh so i'm interested in where this game goes i don't know that the price has been released yet i don't believe it was in the email uh and i know when you go like to the website and stuff it says it's all that's all to be announced yeah um but i'm definitely interested in kind of keeping an eye on it i think that like i said art looks gorgeous um good designer with some previous work uh the fact that he was able to get like the ip back and and you know work on improving that base game to to this new game uh, makes me excited so yeah i'm definitely going to keep an eye on it we'll see uh, i think i have i counted the other day like seven or eight games pre-ordered right now that i'm waiting on either oh. kickstarter or pre-ordered so yeah. i don't know if i can really add another one to the list right now uh, but definitely one i'm at least going to keep an eye on uh, what about you do you think you're going to jump in what are your thoughts initially from what you've seen it looks really good i'm looking at the art now i do remember reading one of his posts he compared it to quacks of quedlinburg yeah. because you are solely responsible for your success or failure. Um, and it has like these cool tile looking things. It's number one on the hotness right now. Yeah. It pushed that's down crazy. Arcova, actually. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely interested in it. I think it looks really cool. Uh, the, the, I like that it's a double-sided board, um, with different art on the other side. Uh, I really, really like the card art for the characters yeah. like it's really nice looking um 
so yeah, I'm probably I'll probably jump on this. Um, I'm happy to add more Stormwire games to the collection that I'm going to. I'm just looking around, and I'm really going to have to uh, get rid of a bunch of games in the next few months. Uh, I just don't know how the best way to do that. Um, but I need to get down to some essential games because I yeah. just got another game. I got Roller Coaster Park, and I'm like, why did I get this? Because oh. it was on clearance. <laughs> why did I do that? Um. Uh, it says weight five out of five. That can't be correct, right? The, yeah, I think that. Yeah, I don't think that's <laughs> accurate. Uh, real quick, what are your thoughts on? Um, obviously, this isn't a Jamie Stegmaier design, uh, yeah. but what are your thoughts on his recent designs? Because obviously, like Scythe and Viticulture are two like well loved games. People still yeah. really, really love those. Um, but you know, Tapestry, Red Rising, which he co-designed, Rolling Realms, don't seem yeah. to be setting kind of the world on fire like you know Scythe did, Viticulture did, yeah. You know what do you what do you think about him, Jamie, as a designer recently? Do you think he still got that whatever it is to to de- deliver the good game? Because obviously he's going to have additional games coming out this year. Yeah. Um. You know, it seems like it's going to be a big year for Stonemaier. Seeming, are, are, do you still get excited for a Jamie Stegmeyer designed Stonemaier game? I do. I think my issue is just finding time to play. Like my wife bought me Tapestry, uh, as a for Christmas, I think. Because I think maybe the thing about Jamie's games is they come out hot, right? People love them right when they come out. I just don't know what it is about the staying power or why they don't stay on the tip of the tongue. But I think Red Rising looks incredible. I just haven't gotten to play it yet. So as much as I want to comment on if I love all of his games, I don't know. Like I haven't played the two newest ones that i have like which is another problem with all these games i have uh, i think what what i really like about jamie in general is is how open he is in the board gaming industry and transparent does that make him a good board game designer not necessarily it doesn't make him a bad one though right um, and i still think the fact that you have games like viticulture and Scythe that are going to last forever. Yeah. Says a lot more about me not having played Tapestry yet. So I still think he is a great board game designer. Um I just uh have to play his games. <laughs> his well, and to be ones. clear, you know, when I say people see more down, Tapestry is still ranked two forty six overall on board. Yeah, it's still Geek. very highly ranked. And yeah. Red Rising is still in the top one thousand, it's like seven hundred something. So it's not like he's they're just much more divisive than they used to be. His games yeah, for used to sure. be universally praised. Um, Tapestry, especially, I feel like is pretty. Um, there's some people who really don't like that game. They feel it's really unbalanced. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, and sure, sometimes that happens. Um, and I think, you know, Rolling Realms, I, maybe it's just too light. Maybe it's just too fun, laid back. I don't know, but I know Rolling Realms is. It is very like, like casual game. Yeah, that, you know, people don't seem to like that one as much. I think that is quite a bit lower rated as far as his games go but just decided to check in but i i still am excited about his games like i'm still very interested uh because if nothing else i think he does uh he, his designs are very thoughtful whether or not i always agree with the decisions or the directions they go i think he's very very yeah. thoughtful with the way he designs games so oh yeah cool anything else you want to say about uh libertalia nope i think we covered it all cool all right josh well you know we got, I don't know, 
We got to get better with our predictions. Have... <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we got to get better with our predictions. I know. We, a, we have to get better with our predictions. B, why does all the big news have to break on Monday? So that when we talk about it, it's like a week removed. Though Everyone's already heard it all. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think that's good because it does help us uh, not necessarily have just a hot take, but a more well thought out, reasoned, um, thoughtful take, which I think is good. I think that's yeah. a good thing. Uh, but as what is not surprising to anyone, our final story is that, uh, you know, people were talking about Sony probably going to buy someone. You know, a lot of folks were like, well, in reaction yeah. to, you know, the Activision acquired, you know, being acquired, Sony's going to have to buy somebody. And it seems that only Donnie thought it was going to be Bungie, uh, but Donnie was right. <laughs> it was Bungie. So <laughs> um, on Monday, uh, it was announced that PlayStation slash Sony is buying Bungie for $3.6 billion, which on the surface, it's like interesting pennies. thought. What's that? <laughs> That's like pennies. Pennies on the dollar. Pennies. pennies. Dollar. <laughs> um, you know, on the surface, you're like, okay, you know, Sony buying Bungie, $3.6 billion, getting a, you know, huge franchise, multiplayer game seems, sure, seems like something we could see them doing. But then we find out the Destiny Studio will remain multi-platform and able to self-publish and reach players wherever they choose to play. So it basically, they now have... The Sony first party, um, so, you know, PlayStation Studios, and kind of next to them is Bungie. So not really necessarily part of Worldwide Studios, kind of their own, like, subsidiary sitting right next to Worldwide Studios um, in the Sony wheelhouse, if you would, or within the gaming division. Josh, what was your thoughts, feelings um, on all this when you heard, A, that they were buying Bungie for $3.6 billion, B, when you found out that, oh, yeah, they're buying them, but they're staying multi-platform, like, they have... 100% 100% committed to now and all future um, game releases is 100% up to Bungie where those games go. What, yeah. are your, what were your thoughts on everything? Well, that slowly trickled out. I don't know if that was intentional or not. They probably should have just led with that too. I think I heard that information a little bit later than just hearing that Sony bought them. It might have been there, but I didn't get to me right away. Yeah, I mean, so to, like on Bungie's website, when it was announced, they, had a, they posted a, a, an article yeah. and in it was like, you could click on an FAQ and it was oh, one of the answers in, in the there. FAQ. Okay. But yeah, but it was like posted immediately, but obviously everyone's like, oh my gosh, they were bought for 3.6 billion and that became the focus. And then people started actually reading the information and that yeah. kind of came What out. an interesting take. What an interesting thing that you, someone like me reads, well, not someone like me, someone not like me reads Sony buys Bungie, and then they're like, "I got to find these FAQs because I got so many questions." <laughs> I would. Uh, that's what I. Would. I was just like, uh, "Okay." Uh, I thought it was crazy. I thought it was very unexpected. And obviously, I don't think it's crazy now, but that seemed like a way bigger acquisition than we thought was going to happen. Yeah. Um, when Donnie was on our show, we talked about Bungie, and we just didn't even think that they were going to go anywhere. Um, I know Donnie was like talking. I think Donnie said it on PSVG. I don't know that he said it on our show. Yeah, he said on PSVG that he thought yeah. Bungie would be next. Yeah, but I know we talked about Bungie and a few other studios that were potential like targets for Sony. I just don't think that we really like nailed down like Bungie was even a possibility at that point. Um, but I don't want to take Donnie's credit away because that he definitely did nail that guess. <sighs> I just, I'm glad that they're staying independent because obviously we talked a little bit about 
what what that looks like to be independent now. And also we talked about it with our listener feedback about these corporations just eating up all these people who can't afford to float on their own. And I get that too. I don't know how hurt hurting Bungie was, but I know that this will be better for them, assuming that everything stays the way it's saying. But there's also some unknowns because they are they are saying that it will be uh, staying this way for the for the Destiny two cycle. That doesn't mean that we won't get a Destiny three on PlayStation like timed or only they were just i think they were just talking about destiny 2 nope it's everything it's any game they ever make will not be console exclusive correct i guess i have a hard time believing that let me let me refrain (laughs) they will be bungie's decision okay so Um, that yeah so here's what it says um Bungie has future games in development. Will they now become PlayStation exclusives? No. We want the worlds we are creating to extend to anywhere people play games. We will continue to self-publish, creatively independent, and we'll continue to drive on one unified Bungie community. Okay. All right. I thought, okay. Well, I mean, uh, that makes sense. Uh, but I don't know that, that that makes sense for a Bungie. I don't know <laughs> that that makes sense for Sony. But obviously they came to a deal, which is beneficial for both of them. And I And a lot of the things... That I've been reading and seeing is people, Sony people talking about how Sony really wanted them for their knowledge about um, games of service and how they can leverage. Uh, in fact, the first thing I thought of when I was reading that was like, you have a Sony guy walks into Bungie, he t- takes the Bungie boss and he says, hey, give me the five best employees you have that you can run Destiny 2 without. And then puts each one of them in charge of their own games of service game in the future. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you go to Naughty Dog and you help them make this game of service. You go here. Like, like, cause you have this huge pool of employees now. Right. Um, that, and I remember, I remember reading how much it was going to cost Sony to pay out these people. And I forget the number, but it was like $1.1 billion or something like that. Well, and that was <laughs> what came out after. Cause you know, People were like, 3.6 billion seems like a lot. And what was found out then in once further documents and stuff for like Sony's um, investment calls and stuff came out is that you found out that the purchase price is actually 2.4 billion, but that that yeah. additional 1.2 billion is incentives to current employees to stay at Bungie. So the purchase price is actually 2.4 with then these incentives that are going to be play, paid to the employees to hopefully help retain them now that the acquisition has happened, because that's something that happens anytime a company gets acquired. Um, you see people leave like that is, you know, they were I came here to work here, not to work at, you know, for whoever. Uh, so I think that is another reason they're so focused a with like how that breakup, if you want to call it that went with Activision, like Bungie was not happy under Activision um, with their agreement for Destiny. So I think that's one of the reasons they're being so very clear about what the relationship is, um, right. even in Jim Ryan's blog post on the PlayStation blog. He says, today I'm happy to announce Bungie will be joining the PlayStation family. This is this is literally the beginning of the article. First off, I want to be very clear to the community that Bungie will remain an independent and multi-platform studio and publisher. Like That's the first thing that they say, right? Yeah. So I, I do think there is a strong desire to support what Bungie is doing, but also to say, as we found out later during Sony's financials, that their goal is to create 10 live service games or to launch 10 live service games by 2026. Yeah, which is crazy. 
well, who's a company who's done a really good live service game? Bungie, you know? So I think the support there um, is going to be big. What do you think um, as far as this desire for PlayStation to, you know, focus on and create more live service games um, and obviously, you know, acquiring Bungie to sit alongside and, and kind of help with that. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's good? Do you think that's bad? Is that too many live service games? What are your thoughts on on that information? I don't think it's good or bad for us. I think it's good for Sony. That's where the money is. And you, I mean, you talk a lot about Genshin Impact and how much money and how, how much money it makes and how it has successfully turned a free game of service into a profitable uh, game and prove that it doesn't just have to be a mobile game to do that, but it can also run on mobile. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of room for that. I think my biggest worry is that's so many. As a consumer, how many games of service can you be playing? Yeah. Uh, and that worries me because how is that going to affect each game's microtransactions, the length of each, like the longevity of each game. And if they're all coming from Sony, like how long do they support each game? Do they have to cut off the weakest performing one out of 10, out of five, out of three? Like just, I think just as far as a consumer goes, my worry is the investment of time uh, into these games. And because you can always choose how much you want to invest in money. But if you're putting in like, 500 hours of in a year for a game that Sony just has to kind of shut down in two years because they have three more games of service <laughs> games coming out. Right. Uh, that could be tough. But I, I mean, I understand Sony's a company that wants to make money just like everyone else out there. And you can't ignore how much money these games of services are making. And you, you have to be competitive too. So you got to give your consumers a, a choice to play yeah. on your console. Uh, another reason that uh, Bungie noted for wanting to join PlayStation is they really want to expand Destiny to you know a multimedia um, property, right? It's not just about the game. Um, and then it came out shortly after the acquisition um, that uh, Derek Sai, who was the director of the animated short films for Riot Games, the makers of League of Legends, um, has joined Bungie. So there clearly seems like already... Um, a desire to start moving that direction of, of making more multimedia uh, for Bungie um, and to and to really expand that Destiny universe by, beyond just the games. Uh, one thing that caught me off guard with this is the, you know this ability to self-publish and, and that yeah you know Destiny and Bungie is going to still kind of remain independent. I do think this shows a big change for Sony slash PlayStation about how they are thinking about. Um, how they deliver their games, where they deliver their games. Uh, so I do think, you know, one of the reasons we never really thought, or I never thought about Bungie being acquired is that previously PlayStation was a company that you never questioned whether a game was going to be an exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, that's we, true. And, and I think now um, knowing that Bungie is going to remain independent, that they insisted on remaining independent. That's the only way they could be acquired. Um, it sounds like, you know, Microsoft was in talks, but wasn't cool with them being um, independent. And that's kind of why they walked away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that was a while ago. That wasn't, they were, had inquired recently as well, but like apparently like a year plus ago, they had uh, talked to them and Bungie was like, no, we want to remain independent, but you can buy us. And that wasn't yeah. something they were into. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see kind of what this means long-term. Um, you know, 
in additional interviews that have happened, uh, Jim Ryan has said this is not the end of acquisitions, that more are, are coming. Yeah. Um, from the financial reports, it was indicated that um, you know, $7 billion that Sony as a corporation had allocated. Um, they had allocated $17 billion for acquisitions and mergers and stock buybacks and all that good stuff. And about $7 billion of it had been used. Um, and this is through next year. But that there were acquisitions that had not been made public yet that were still part of that seven billion. Yeah. Um. So clearly, there's going to be some on the horizon, though they might not be gaming related. But Jim Ryan said that there was still more coming, and he obviously only cares about gaming related ones. Yeah. yeah. Um. So just Josh, with where the landscape sits right now, um, Microsoft, EA, who did their financials, very much sounded like they were in the mood to acquire, not to be acquired. Or just um, weird. And, and, yeah. <laughs> in their financials, they very much indicated it seemed that they were looking to snap up studios yeah where do you think this sits like if you had to guess kind of and this isn't our predictions we'll do those in a second because i yeah. already know what yours is gonna be for that but yeah. where do you think what do you think is next for the gaming acquisition race um that's happening right now who do you think is next to be snatched up and who do you think is going to do it i think the with the ones that everyone the the studios or the companies that everyone thinks are next are square enix and konami and capcom and Capcom, um, yeah. but I really think Xbox might buy Sega. Sega. Um, Sega just sold one of their last arcades. They closed it yeah. down, and and I think that's the death rattle for Sega uh, because they really just like if they can't have a successful arcade in Japan, what what does that say about Sega yeah. right now? Um, I think for PlayStation, it would make a lot of sense for them to get Konami. Like, it really would. I also wouldn't put it past Nintendo buying Sega. Mm. Um, but I think Sega is ripe for acquisition. Uh, just kind of the tale of Sega, right? Right. Console, they did good. Then they didn't. Then they sold. They just stopped making consoles and sold the rights to their to their characters to other people. Stayed in arcades, came back as like a great third-party, second-party publisher, whatever you want to consider them. Um, and now that's even waning a little bit. Like, I don't know that they can rely on Sonic Frontiers to save them for 2022. Um, I think I think Konami makes sense, but I also think it's one of those things that too many people want it, so it's not going to happen. It's just like mm-hmm. a pipe dream. And it's probably not even being talked about. Like, Konami is probably like, you guys be quiet. We're not trying to sell we're fine <laughs> like leave <laughs> us alone um but i don't really know i can't see sony going for well we already know they're not going to go for ea if ea is looking to acquire um but i can't see them going for like an ea a capcom would make sense too but i think capcom's like when i hear capcom i hear nintendo i'm sorry that's just what i hear i'm not saying nintendo's going to buy them but i think capcom i think street fighter and i think Mega Man, and I know there's a lot more to that, but my brain, nostalgia-wise, just goes right back to the NES or the SNES. So that's probably just a me problem. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Who, who's going to get acquired next? And what's going to happen with all this stuff? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, I, I, the Japanese studios seem to be what everyone is focusing on. You know, your Square, Capcom, Konami, all that good stuff. That, that tends to be where the focus is. Uh, I mm, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I really am not. I don't feel confident in maybe maybe Capcom or Square or something like that is going to be acquired. It just doesn't seem to me like that is what those companies want. 
right it, it very much seems like those companies want to continue doing um their own thing and, and continue to be successful in their own way um you know square enix did their financials also recently as did capcom like everyone did um and square enix like they're you know, if you read the headlines, they're like, oh, we had a good a good quarter, basically only because of Final Fantasy 14. Like right. they actually did like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy did worse than they were anticipating, which is like how which is like, crazy. How? Right. You know, <laughs> so, you know, when you read just the headlines, it's like, oh, Square had it up a quarter. Well, yeah, just because of one game, you know, mm. so how, how long is that sustainable? How long is that tenable? Because of PlayStation's desire to get into live service games square with final fantasy 14 makes sense right as the direction they want to go and that's also a game that's only on pc and their platform so it's not like they would be taking anything from anywhere else um and maybe they'd even be okay with expanding it um so i think that they are maybe a little more ripe for acquisition than they were before just because that is really the game they're living off of right now is that final fantasy 14 um but I think they're also seeing that, you know, the exclusivity that they've then done with PlayStation, like Final Fantasy VII hasn't sold as well as they were hoping yeah. just because like there's less places to sell it. Like PlayStation's um, financials were down just because they can't get enough consoles out. Like they are selling every single one of them that's made, but they still need more and they can't do it. Yeah. You know, so I I don't want any of the, the Japanese publishers to be bought. I think one of them will, though. I think it is going to happen. I think it, whether it's going to be Xbox, PlayStation, or Nintendo, I don't know. I'm going to lean towards Xbox. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think PlayStation, for the most part, is still going to do focused acquisitions. I think they're going to, you're going to see them looking at like Ember Lab um, or Arc System Works or Arrowhead or something like that, or maybe bringing in additional like VR studios like Camouflage or Impulse Gear or First Contact or something like that. Like I really think that's what PlayStation is looking for is to be a little more focused on individual studios, whereas I think Xbox is still, um, you know, looking for the bigger things. And, you know, we talk about PlayStation being like a, the bigger player in the video game arena than Xbox is, and that's true. But if you think about like Sony's entire mergers and acquisitions for multiple years was $17.4 billion dollars. Yeah. And Microsoft spent $68 billion on Activision, right? Like it's company. really not the same, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So cool. Anything else about acquisitions, mergers, anything like that you want to talk about? Well, I don't know. I mean, we've just been told by Twitter to brace ourselves for a crazy year yeah. for video games. So that's just what we're going to have to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, January already outpaced all of last year for acquisitions yeah. mergers between Zynga. <laughs> Wordle got bought for over a million dollars by the New York Times. Like everyone's yeah. getting into it. So, yeah, I think more more ridiculousness is coming. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. But with that, we're going to move on and make some predictions for what we think is going to happen on Monday. Probably going to be another acquisition. But uh, <laughs> with that, Josh, what is your prediction for what happens between when we record this show Sunday night and when it posts Tuesday morning? Well, I'd love to change it to an acquisition, but I have to stick to my guns. Just as sure as I was, the Mass Effect Andromeda would be the best Mass Effect game ever made. <laughs> I guarantee you that Gran Turismo 7 will get delayed. Yeah. I and my cat is agreeing with me. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Uh, speaking of, you know, uh, a studio or a publisher that maybe is having some struggles lately, um, only because of one or, or being really only successful because of one ba- game, I'm sticking with it. Forspoken's getting delayed. And it's still <laughs> happening, um, especially now with Ghostwire Tokyo coming out, which I recognize is a completely different publisher and a complete, you know, it's actually a Microsoft game. Um, yeah. 
I think PlayStation is going to be very cool with that game pushing. Um, now that we have a, a pretty stacked March, and then we have the show in early April, like push that out of May. I think they'll be totally cool with it. So I think Forspoken's getting delayed. Uh, with that, we're going to move on to our recommendations for a well-rounded life. Obviously, we're a gaming podcast, but we want to give you one other thing that we're currently into that is helping us live that balanced life. Josh, what's your recommendation this week? My recommendation is a show on Netflix. It's called Murderville. It stars Real Arnett. It has six episodes, which I have already watched twice of all of them. Uh, <laughs> it is a scripted, unscripted comedy. And when I say that, I mean... The entire show is scripted except for the one guest they have on each episode, which is a celebrity of some sort who does not have the script and they have to improvise their way through the show. But not only do they have to improvise their way through, it's kind of like an escape room because they have to solve the murder as well. Uh, At the end of each episode, they're all given three suspects to choose from. And they kind of have to suss it out based off of how uh, this all played out for them. And I've watched it twice now because there's so much extra stuff that is done in this. And like once you realize after you watch the first episode that that's how the end of the episode is, you go, oh, my God, what? I should have paid more attention. <laughs> so you see more like clues. But not only that, you also... Um, because they also tell you why the person's guilty. So they, they give you the clues up front, but uh, it's just so funny. And uh, just I watching the regular actors react to the comedian, like I would say they're mostly comedians, to the improvised uh, actors. Like when you can make a corpse laugh, that's pretty funny when a corpse <laughs> is smiling in a shot. Um the first, uh, the episodes, the first episode, um, there's Conan O'Brien, then Marshawn Lynch, which was incredibly funny. It was the second episode. And we have Kumail Nanjiani. We have Annie Murphy, who was from um, uh, Schitt's Creek. And Kevin can F himself. She's very funny. Sharon Stone, which was just like an experience. Um, and I'm forgetting other people that's four right i'm forgetting two people not on purpose they were also very good i just don't remember i think that's all of them i think now, there was six episodes i think i only named four people i'm definitely I... missing people conan kumail marshawn Sharon stone i'm missing one person now i feel worse <laughs> who did i forget um i forgot one person regardless uh it's very good very funny it's on netflix all six episodes are out and, uh, you know, if this didn't cement Will Arnett as like one of the best comedic actors out there, like he does such a good job in this. And it actually tells like a coherent story throughout the course of the six episodes There's actually a story to follow with his character. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, OK, here you go, Josh. The actor you missed, <clears throat> they are on the Hangover series community. They're the Hangover movies. The Hangover movies, yeah, the Hangover movies. They're on the show Community. Yeah. Um, what the heck? Oh, Ken Jong. Yeah, and Ken yeah. Jong was very good, also. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I forgot Ken Jong out of all that. I remember Sharon Stone, but not Ken Jong. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, very good. I, I highly recommend it. Um, you don't even need to like improvised comedy. You just need to like comedy to enjoy it. Uh, it's very good. Awesome. 
That's Murderville on Netflix. It is on my short list to watch. I was really stoked when they um, announced this, which was only a couple of weeks ago that they announced yeah. it was going to be a thing because like it's such a unique idea that even if mm-hmm. it isn't funny, I was like fascinated to see how it went. So I'm glad to hear it was good. Um, all right. My recommendation is not going to be a documentary or anything like that. Um, I'm going to take you on a very brief journey, um, probably about a year ago, maybe a little longer ago than that. No, it was pre-pandemic, so quite a long time ago. Um I was having this conversation with my partner and we were talking about like things that would be like really cool to do someday or things that would be like a nifty way to leave, live your life or like a thing that'd be like, Hey, this is this thing that I do that I, that gives me like, that I really enjoy doing that. It gives me some meaning that like, it's just unique and different. So what we came up with or what I kind of came up with that I wanted to do eventually um, was whenever we decide like our meals for the week and everything that we're going to eat, like I wanted to make, all of the bread we were going to need that week. So yeah. like whether it be sandwich bread, you know, buns for things like that was like what I really wanted to do. Well, then the pandemic started and this sounds so bad and everyone started making bread. So I was like, yeah. well, I'm not going to make bread now. That's like the thing to do. Like that doesn't seem like whatever. So I'm not going to make sourdough and whatever. Like that's fine. Others can do that. That's cool. Well, now we've gotten to the point where, you know, I'm <laughs> we're in the depths of winter. I keep thinking about summer and how badly I want to like grill burgers and hot dogs and all that good stuff. Yeah. Not that I don't grill in the winter, but it's just different. So I said, okay, you know what? This, this goal I had had of, you know, making the bread, like getting up Sunday morning and making the bread for the week. Uh, I want to, I want to try actually to do this. Then I figured now is a good time to start. Cause I don't have to worry about like burgers and like buns and like all that other stuff right now. It's just really focusing on bread for the most part for like sandwiches and stuff. So I have started. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been making bread <laughs> um, and it's great. You should totally try it. Like take some time, learn to make some bread. Um, it's really cool to be like making your grocery list and be like, we don't need no bread because we got it. Like we, I got it taken care of. So um, I would encourage you to kind of explore that. Now you don't have to get super fancy with it. Um, if you want to just use a bread maker, just make a bread maker, use it, make it the bread maker. Who cares? Um, you know, the <laughs> people with, when it comes to bread making, get very, very, um, protective of like the art of it sometimes and, and kind not of my sourdough starter right exactly <laughs> which i understand like if it you know your sourdough starter if you've had it forever like i totally get it um but like do what works for you because it is a process and you have to like do it and set it aside and wait come back and you just throw stuff in a bread maker my dad made bread like for years and he always did it in a bread maker you know like it's fine and it was good bread you know so it's totally fine to do it that way if you want to um but don't be scared to try it don't be scared to jump in um there's something really satisfying about like and the smell is amazing, but there's something satisfying about being like, I made this bread when you make a sandwich. It's just it's just pretty cool. So that's my recommendation. Make nice. some bread. It's great. Good recommendation. All right, Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up then? Let's do that. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to use that five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithvg at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with hashtag boardwithvg, so please use that hashtag as well on all social medias. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is, whether you're downloading us from the Dice Tower Network feed or our very own standalone Board with Video Games feed. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, Give us a review, please, because you can do that now on Spotify. I'm tempted to review us myself, but I wouldn't do that. That would be weird. <laughs> uh, you can find me on PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Steam, Twitch, 
And why so serious? That's S-I-R-R-I-U-S. Kaya, where can people find you? So you can find me on all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.